brought your Bible, please. Let's go together to the book of Genesis. First book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 28. We're going to begin at verse 10. I began sharing last week about the open heaven. The open heaven is a spiritual reality that exists for the believer who is walking with God. We saw last week how God told the nation of Israel, I'm taking you to a place where you're going to have to depend on me. And as you depend on me, then I will open the heavens and I'll send rain on your land in season and you will have the blessing of the Lord. Today I want us to look at a specific person, the life of Jacob, as God opened heaven over him in a way that he wants to open heaven over you. Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went to Haran. And he came to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. He had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth, with its top reaching the heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it, and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, the God of Isaac. The land in which you are lying, I will give to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, And you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And to you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep. And said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning for the minister of the Holy Spirit among us. I pray that you would anoint my lips of clay to teach and preach the word of the living God. And I ask you to anoint the hearing of this congregation that they might receive the word and that it might bear fruit in their hearts and lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. The Hebrew tradition is one of praying three times a day. You will remember that the Bible says that Daniel was a man who prayed three times a day. And when persecution came against him, he went on praying just as he had. And that is evidence that the Jewish tradition of prayer existed into the exile and even into this day. They pray in the morning, they pray in the afternoon, and they pray in the evening, if you study the Gospels, uh, you'll find that even Jesus practiced uh, the same practice of prayer. And we often see him praying in the morning and in the evening and often even at night. Now, the Jews believe that this was instituted by the patriarchs, by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They believe that Abraham instituted morning prayer in Genesis chapter 19 and verse 27 where the Bible says that early in the morning, Abraham arose, and this was the night after he had interceded for Sodom and Gomorrah. So he arose, he went to the place where he had been standing before God, 
and he looked down and he saw that great city being destroyed by the uh, the judgment and the wrath of God. Again, in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 3, we see that Abraham rises up early in order to go and offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice for uh, or before the Lord. And so we see in Abraham the practice of prayer in the morning. Then in the life of Isaac, we see prayer in the afternoon. In Genesis chapter uh, 24 and verse 63, the Bible says that uh, in the evening, toward evening, that would be the afternoon that he was in the field meditating. He was talking to God. And the word there implies a, a uh, two-person conversation. He was having an, a, a conversation with God. And while he was praying, he lifted up his eyes and behold, the camels were coming. And of course, the, uh, the caravan of camels was bringing to him the wife that he had, uh, uh, that he was going to receive from God and, and uh, the Lord no doubt answered his prayer and met with him in that time of conversation and meditation. Now we read in Genesis chapter 8, the, uh, the prayer life of Jacob. And here it is at its beginning. In fact, Jacob is not even praying. He's not even looking for God as it were. Jacob had other more pressing concerns on his mind. He had uh, deceived his father and received the blessing that belonged to his elder brother Esau. Esau was to have been the firstborn, was the firstborn of the family. So he was to have been the person to receive the blessing. And yet the, through the uh, contrivance of his mother and, and the uh, deceit of Jacob, they were able to fool Isaac into blessing the wrong son. And so Jacob now has received the blessing of God, which his brother Esau had despised and literally sold to him for a a bowl of, of porridge, a bowl of stew. But now he has finally obtained the blessing, and now he has to run for his life because his brother says to him, Jacob, our father is old, he's near death, And so I'm going to leave you alone for now. But the day he dies, I'm going to kill you. And uh, and Esau meant every word of that threat to Jacob. And so now Jacob has to flee. He has to run for his life. And in the early part of chapter 28, the Bible says that his father said to him, Jacob, I want you to go to the land of your uh, of your mother's uh, family to to the the old uh, home country. And I want you to find a wife there and. And I am sending you with the blessing of God. And I know that God is going to watch over you. He's going to make you fruitful. He's going to multiply you. And so Jacob leaves the house. He leaves in fear. He leaves in uncertainty. He leaves perhaps broken hearted and in despair. Because he has received what he wanted. But he has to now run. And on the way there the Bible says that it became dark. And so Jacob found a place to rest. He found a stone, a rock, perhaps a large rock, which he could lean up against. And he used it as a pillow that night. And when he fell asleep, the Bible says that he had a dream. And in the dream, he had a vision of heaven. And he saw the Lord and he saw uh, the the glory of God. And he, he heard the voice of God. And, and you see there the great compassion and the great kindness of God. Because the Bible says 
that uh, if you will seek him, you will find him with all of your heart. The Bible says, call upon me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things which you know not. And how many of you have discovered that God answers when you call? But this text doesn't have a man calling on God. This text doesn't have a man seeking after God. And yet we have a God who interrupts this moment of Jacob's life and appears to him and speaks with him. I'm just going to take a moment this morning to thank God for the fact that when we were not even looking for him, he was looking for us. And when we could not even call upon him, that he was calling out to us. Come on, somebody. Have you received the grace of God? Have you received the mercy of God? You didn't even know he was there. You didn't even know how to look for him. And yet he had sent a, a search party out to find you and to bring you to himself. How a Jacob is sitting under an open heaven. He's having a divine revelation from God. And, and this revelation is a message to us this morning. But I want you to listen to this message in two parts. First of all, for the revelation of God to you. And for the revelation of God for this season that you and I are in. Uh, and this open heaven that God has given to us as a church. But I also want you to look at it this morning as an answer to your prayer concerning your children. Because Jacob was a child of a covenant blessing family. He was a child of a family that had a relationship with God. And although he had no love for God, he had no relationship with God, God was pursuing him because of the covenant that he had made with his family. And I want to encourage you this morning, moms and dads, to just take hold of that promise that God has not forgotten your children and that he will keep his word to you as you walk with him. So he takes a stone. This stone represents something uh, in the life of Jacob. In a few verses we read after this encounter that Jacob anoints the stone. And it becomes to him a monument. It becomes to him a testimony of God's revelation of his, in his life. A, a testimony of how God had uh, come to meet him in this place of crisis in his life. And friends, this stone uh, is a, a testimony as well to us that God can take the hard and difficult rocks and stones of life and make them into pillars and make them into monuments of His grace and power in our life. The thing you thought would destroy you, the thing you thought might even bury you, instead of it being your gravestone, has become a monument and a pillar in your life. And when you look at it now, you say, this was God's doing. This was a miracle that God did in my life. Maybe you were in a jail cell one day without any hope uh, or without any expectation. But now you drive by the jailhouse and you look at it and it's a memorial to you of what God has done in your life, of what God has done in your family. Come on, somebody. Maybe you were sitting in a hospital bed and you were waiting to die, but God showed up. And now when you, when you drive by the hospital, you say, that's the place where the Lord healed me, where he delivered me. Come on. We have a testimony in our life of the power and the presence of God in our life. And do you know when you have a testimony in your, li in your life of the faithfulness of God, you can sleep uh, in the midst of crisis. You can sleep in the midst of trouble. The Bible says that the disciples were caught 
uh, in a storm in the middle of the night. And Jesus was at the bottom of the boat, sleeping on a pillow. Jesus was resting in the middle of the storm. And you too can rest in the middle of the storm. Because he said, come unto me and I will give you rest. There is a peace and a rest that you can have in the presence of God. And when you've had those encounters with God, those experiences with God, they can become a pillow to you, even in the most difficult of circumstances in this life. So Jacob falls asleep, and the heavens open over him. And the first thing he sees, he sees a ladder. This ladder is touching the earth, but it's reaching all the way up into heaven. This ladder, friends, represents your prayer life. It represents that access which God has given you to be able to touch the heavens from the earth. God has created a link uh, to heaven from the earth. And that link is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus said, you haven't prayed like this before. But from now on, when you pray, you pray in my name. And everything you ask in my name, my Father will give it unto you. Jesus has opened the heavens over your life. Say amen, somebody. Jesus has opened the heavens over your life, and now you have access to God by prayer. Did you know that when you pray, when you come and you stand in this altar, or you pray at home, or you uh, pray in your various uh, places of work, and in that moment when you uh, stop to acknowledge God, that you are no longer just standing on the earth. You're also standing in the throne room of God's glory. You're standing in the presence of God. And you are standing there not as a, not as a, uh, a castaway, not as a forgotten, not as the, as the ignored, but you're standing there as a child of the living God. And you're coming with the name of Jesus through which you have access to the throne of the living God, friends. By prayer, you can touch heaven today. God has given you the ability from the earth to touch the heavens and to make a difference in the heavens. And here's what happens. When you touch heaven by prayer, heaven begins to send down the answer to your prayers. Jacob saw angels ascending and descending. He saw those answers to prayer coming down out of heaven. The Bible says that Daniel began to pray. And immediately an angel was dispatched with his answer. But the angel was resisted by the uh, the powers of darkness that didn't want that message to come to Daniel. And so Daniel kept praying. And he kept interceding. And finally the angel came with the answer from God. And I just encourage you today, when you pray, and you pray in the name of Jesus, when you touch heaven with your prayers... God will answer you. God will send the answer that you request of Him. And as you remain in endurance and in perseverance, you will see the good hand of God manifested in your life. He saw this ladder touching the heavens. He saw Himself being able to ascend into the presence of the living God. Now this was, of course, a contrast to the 11th chapter of Genesis. In the same book, we see another group of people trying to reach heaven. They said, we're going to build a tower that's going to reach the heavens. We're going to get to God on our own terms. We're going to arrive at heaven through our own effort. Through all of their ingenuity and technology, inventiveness and creativity, they were unable to reach the heavens. And God brought confusion upon that people. 
Because, friends, there is only one way to touch the heavens. There is only one way to touch God. It is not through our intelligence, our intellect, our skill, or our ability. It is through the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, who through His blood has opened the door of heaven for you. And today you and I can come through the new and living way and enter into the presence of God. Now we see the presence of angels ascending and descending. Now I believe this was God's way of teaching us how we are to, that, that we can learn a lot from the angels by prayer. In Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3, the Bible says the angels in the presence of God, in the throne room of God, this is what the angels do. They call out to one another saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the Bible says that when they called out like this, that the doorposts of the house were shaken because of the voice of those angelic beings. What were they doing? They're teaching us in prayer that when we come into the presence of God, we acknowledge the holiness of God. That word holy uh, literally means uh, one who is absolutely perfect. Uh, one who has uh, a, 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 a perfect morality. There is no, uh, no, no blemish in God. There is no blemish in God's character. No blemish in God's person. He is absolutely perfect. He is absolutely holy. And you and I, when we begin to pray, when we have that encounter with God in prayer, this is often one of the results that we come under the awe and the, and the glow of the glory of God. And we realize He is holy. He is absolutely unique. There is no one like Him. No one above Him. No one beside Him. He alone is God. And He alone is worthy to be praised. The whole earth is filled with His glory. And friends, when you and I lose sight of the holiness of God. And the perfection of God. Our prayers become weak. Our prayers become uh, just uh, the clamoring of hopelessness uh, and despair. But when we realize my God is in the heavens, there's no one like Him. He is holy, He is righteous, and He is good. Our prayers become full of faith and confidence in the glorious God that we serve. Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 12. Ezekiel had a vision of heaven. And he saw the, the, uh, the great be, uh, beings before the presence of God. And he saw how they cried out to God and he heard something in the presence of the Lord. The Bible said he heard a great rumbling sound. It was the sound of the wings of the four living creatures as they worshiped before God. Those four living creatures were the, are the picture of the work of God through the church and through his people. The picture of God's grace. The picture of a people in prayer. A people doing spiritual warfare. A people of God in worship. It's like a loud commotion. A sound that caused trembling in the very heart of darkness. Because the people of God have aroused themselves to pray. And he, he heard them crying out and saying, Blessed be the glory of the Lord in His dwelling place. Oh friends, when you come to this encounter with God in prayer, you find not only that He is holy, but that He is blessed. That He is the God who deserves all of the glory and all of the blessing. That word blessed in the Hebrew literally means to kneel down. 
It is an understanding that when we come into the presence of God, we humble ourselves before Him. We acknowledge that He's the blesser. That He is the blessed God whose glory has filled the earth. And that there is nothing in us worthy. And so we humble ourselves before Him. The Bible says that He draws near to those who are humble and uh, those who are uh, penitent before Him. He draws near to them, but He despises the proud. God is looking for a people to come to Him in humility and in, in uh, reverence to His character and to His nature. Jacob wasn't there yet. Jacob had not yet learned the value of humility, but he soon would. And I want to encourage you today, don't take 21 years like Jacob to humble yourself before God. If you'll humble yourself today before the mighty hand of God, he says he'll lift you up. He'll raise you up. He'll promote you. He'll take you to the place that you need to go. And he'll accelerate his work in your life. Let someone say amen in the house of God. Now we see in verse 13 and 14, four times that God reveals himself to Jacob. And these are four I am's I want you to notice. First of all, he says to him, I am the Lord. Now the Bible says that Jacob in this open heaven, he saw the Lord standing at the top of this ladder, at the, at the, uh, at the pinnacle of the heavens. This was the Lord Jesus Christ. And he reveals to him, he says, I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. I want you just to notice something. Every revelation from God, and this might be worth writing down if you tend to have a lot of revelations from God. Uh, every genuine revelation from God will point you to Jesus Christ. And if it doesn't, it didn't come from God. God's only interest is pointing you to Jesus. Say amen, somebody. And so he saw a revelation of the Lord. He saw Jesus. And the Lord said, I am Yahweh. That name Yahweh, of course, there are many names for God in the Old Testament. But that name Yahweh is the highest of all the names. Same name that God revealed himself to Moses by. When he said, I am that I am. This is simply the verb that means to be. The God that is. The God that simply is. No one made him. No one can unmake him. No one gave him the position and no one will take it from him. He is God. And he is the Lord. He is the one who created the heavens and the earth. He says, Jacob, I am the Lord. Second revelation. The God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. He says to him, I am Yahweh. The God who has always been. But I am the God who makes himself personal. I can become your God. Now notice, he doesn't say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because Jacob had not yet come to know God for himself. And so he says, I'm the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. I want to be your God too, Jacob. But you have to make me your God. How did he become the God of Abraham? How did he become the God of Isaac? He became their God by faith. He became their God because he is a God who is approached on the basis of man's faith. The Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. If you want to please God, you must come to him by faith. If you want to know God, you must approach him by faith. He says, Jacob, I am the God who must be approached by faith. Not by works, 
Not by your achievement, not by your skill, but you must come to me by faith. Number three, he says to him, I will give you uh, and to your descendants the land on which you are lying. This land of Canaan, this promised land, I am going to give it to you. Now he reveals himself as a covenant God. These were the same words which he had spoken to Abraham and to Isaac. He spoke to Abraham saying, I'm going to give you and your descendants this land. He affirmed it again to Isaac in his covenant. And now he affirms it to Jacob once again. Friends, you and I have a covenant keeping God. God says to you this morning, I am your covenant keeping God. I am the God who keeps his word to a thousand generations. You might say, well, I don't feel like I see much right now. And things are going against me in some areas of my life. You just keep walking with God. He's a promise keeper. He's a covenant keeping God. And he will not leave you until he has kept his covenant promise to you. And then he says to him in verse 14, you and your descendants will be like the dust. Of the earth. And in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This is the fourth I am. He's saying, Jacob, I am the blesser. I am the blessing in your life. I am the one who has declared blessing, a disposition, a favorable disposition from God upon your family and upon your fathers and now also upon you. Listen, the Bible says that the blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow with it. Look, Jacob was not uh, a good guy. Uh, It's an ironic thing when you look at the life of Esau and Jacob. Esau was a good son that didn't fear God. And Jacob was the bad son, the black sheep of the family. And he did fear God. And he he did have a desire to receive the blessing. And, and that's the irony of it. That the, 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 the young man who was a rebel and who was a, a, a swindler and a heel grabber. The young man who was the black sheep of the family. Is being, uh, is being pursued by the blessing of God. I don't know if you understand this or not. But the things you're experiencing in your life. The goodness you're experiencing in your life. Is because you have a good God. Who's pursuing you with blessing. And overtaking you with his goodness. Come on somebody. Are you and I have become the object of divine affection. And God pursues us with his love. He chases down Jacob to tell him, Jacob, you have the blessing on your life. Listen, young man, young lady, you may run from God. You may run from mom and dad. You may run from the church. But if mom and dad have declared the blessing on you, if God has declared his blessing on you, you can run, but you can't hide. Surely goodness and mercy will find you and they will bring you to know the Lord. Come on, somebody ought to get excited tonight or this morning because you have a God who pursues you with his love. And his goodness, the Bible says it's the goodness of God that brings men to repentance. It's the kindness of God, that overwhelming grace of God demonstrated to sinners that brings our heart to know that we need him. Because, friends, you have a God who loves you. You have a God who has declared good things concerning your life. If you're listening this morning 
And you say, Pastor, I don't feel too blessed right now. I'm going through some hardships. I'm going through some troubles. You just keep walking with God. He is the blesser. He is the one who is bringing about even the hardships in your life and turning them into good for you. This blessing of God goes from generation to generation to those who fear Him. Just say that out loud. I am blessed. This blessing from God was pursuing Jacob, although he was not pursuing it. Because God had made a covenant promise to Abraham and a covenant promise to Isaac. And now he's making and reaffirming that covenant with Jacob. Now in verse 14, we have another series of statements. These are God's I will statements. Now we notice in 13 and 14, we have God's I am statements. These are statements about who God is. But in verse 15, we have the revelation of what God will do. Now, I want you to notice this because many people are only concerned with what God can do for them. But God doesn't just want you to be concerned about what he can do for you. He wants you to know who he is. He wants you to know that he is I am. Because, friends, it's out of who he is that you and I can receive the things that he does. Listen to what he says. Number one, he says, I will be with you. I am with you. And this morning, God wants you to know this. He wants you to know that he is with you. This is his promise. I will never leave you nor forsake you, even unto the end of the age. Maybe you feel lonely this morning. Maybe you feel like no one sees you. No one understands what you're going through. No one hears the the cry of your heart. Friend, God does. And he says, I am with you. In the darkest night of Jacob's life, God was there. And friend, in the darkest night of your life, God will be there. And if you will invite his presence into your life right now, he'll fill your life with such glory and such grace that you won't know how to describe the glorious presence of God in your life. Friends, aren't you grateful today that he has made a promise to you and kept that promise? And if he hadn't kept that promise, we would have given up in despair a long time ago. We would have fallen down and and given up. But he has said, I will be with you in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of trial and trouble, in the midst of uncertainty. We have the assurance of God's eternal presence and he will not fail concerning his promise to you. Number two, he says, I will keep you. Not only will I be with you, but I will keep you. I will be your defense. I'll be your guard. He says to Abraham, he said to Abraham, Jacob's grand, uh, grandfather, he said, I am your shield and your reward. I'm going to defend you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to be a wall around you. He said to Israel in the book of Zechariah, I will be a wall of fire around you and I will be the glory in your midst. Oh, friend, there is a place of safety that you can run. It is the name of the Lord. It is the strong tower. And God says, I will be your defense against the storms and against the waves of adversity in your life. You're not alone. And you have a God who will be your defense and your guard. He is the Lord of hosts. That means he's the God of the armies. The God who rises to our defense. And the psalmist, when he describes the life of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
He speaks the words of God. And he says, God spoke over them saying, Touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. When Abraham entered into the king of Egypt and there he saw the adversity come against him, but God rose up and defended him. When Isaac was opposed by his enemies, God rose up and defended him. And now here's Jacob running for his life. But God says, Jacob, I'm going to be your shield and your guard. I am going to defend you and I will be a a wall all around you. And so he speaks to you this morning and he says, I am your defense. I'm your guard and I am your protection. Number four, he says, I will bring you back to this land. Jacob, right now you're running. Right now you're, 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 you're going away and it seems like you lost everything. It seems like you're moving in the wrong direction, but I will restore you. I will bring you back to this land. Oh friend, what a promise from God. God says, I am the restorer in your life. He speaks to Haggai and he says, I will restore the years that have been lost. He speaks to the other prophet and he says, I will restore what the locust has eaten. Friend, there are no losses with God. When you walk with him, he is able to restore and replenish. Are you out of strength? He is the restorer of your strength. Are you out of faith? He is the restorer of your faith. Come on, somebody. He is the one that can bring you back into the land and to restore what you have lost in this life. And number four, he says, I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. Oh, friends, God says, I will not let you go until what I spoke to you is done. Let me ask you a question. Has God spoken to you? Has God made promises to you? Then you can trust this. God says, I will not let you go until I have done all that I have promised you. Until what I have spoken is fulfilled in your life. When I was called to pastor this church and I spent uh, the time in prayer and fasting, the Lord came to me one afternoon and he said, Isaac, as I was with Moses, so shall I be with you. And his second promise to me was this. I will not let you go until I have done what I have promised to you. And I stand before you to tell you that God is a promise-keeping God. And that God will do what He has spoken in your heart and over your life. And when you receive those prophetic words over your life, and when you read the Scriptures and you receive the Word of God over your life, God says, I'm not going to let one word fail. My word will not return to me void, but it will accomplish that for which I sent it. Jacob has this encounter with a God he was not looking for. And a revelation of a God he could not have imagined was possible. And then he awoke from his sleep. And he said, surely the Lord was in this place. And I didn't know it. Another rendering from the Hebrew might be uh, translated like this. Surely the Lord was in this place, but I was looking the other way. I was looking for answers 
in all the wrong places. I was looking uh, in the wrong direction. I thought my help would come from money or from fame or from friends. But friend, I have come to know my help is in the Lord. My help is from the God of Jacob. My hope is in the God whose, whose word is life in the midst of my night, in the midst of my darkness. And Jacob, now notice what he does. In verse 18, it says, and Jacob rose early in the morning. Now notice, Jacob had not prayed before. There's no reference to any prayer on Jacob's behalf. But now he's had an encounter with the living God. And what does he do? He begins to practice the prayer life of Abraham. He gets into the flow of the patterns of faith which he had experienced with God. Uh, which, with, which he had learned or witnessed in the life of his family. Uh, aren't you, aren't, would you get excited if your children woke up in the morning to pray? That was a weak amen. Wouldn't you get excited if your children woke up in the morning to pray? Come on, Jacob is now walking with God by himself. Nobody has to tell him. Nobody has to say, get up, Jacob. Now he is walking with God for himself, by himself. Come on, God wants you to know him personally, to walk with him personally. And he takes that stone. And he anoints it with oil. He says, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And the doorway of heaven. And he says, if God will be with me. And will keep me on this journey that I take. And I will give and will give me food to eat and garments to wear. And I return to my father's house in safety. The Lord will be My God. Oh, friends, God wants you to have a personal encounter with Him. It's not enough to have granddaddy's faith. It's not enough to have your father's faith. You must have your own personal relationship with God. An encounter with God for yourself. That encounter that transforms your own heart and your own life. And today, you and I, as a church, we stand under an open heaven. that's been opened by the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been given access to the throne of God by the blood of Jesus. And we must do as Jacob did. And here is an instruction for the year 2022. And that is to give careful attention to every divine impulse when you're going through your daily life and you don't uh, you're not even thinking about prayer time or thinking about uh, uh, talking to God and then suddenly there's a divine impulse suddenly something draws you to the presence of God something calls you to prayer you sense the voice of God calling you Don't deny that impulse and don't reject that invitation because God wants to open heaven over you and pour out his blessing and pour out his goodness in those areas of your life. It may happen at night. It may happen in a moment of fear and dread and anxiety and worry. It might happen in a moment of boredom. 
It might happen in a moment when you're going through daily chores without thinking much about anything else. And God suddenly, unexpectedly shows up in your life. And friends, if you will open your heart to Him this year, in those moments, and you respond to Him with worship, and respond to His holiness, and to His, to His call upon your life, He'll open heaven in your life in areas that have been closed for a long time. And he'll make himself available to you in places in your life which you thought God might not even care about. And this morning is one of those opportunities where he says to you, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. The heavens are open. There's a ladder that touches the heavens and that ladder belongs to you. It's the ladder of prayer. And if you'll take hold of it this morning, you can touch heaven and watch heaven touch earth. Let's stand together. I want to open this altar this morning. And I want to invite you to come into this altar. And respond to the call of God. To your heart. To your life. Just respond to Him this morning. Maybe you came to church out of routine, but this morning God is saying, no, I want more than a routine. I want to reveal myself to you. I want to speak to you. This altar is open for a hungry people who desire the presence of God more than life itself. Come on. Is there anybody hungry in the house of God this morning? Don't let the moment pass you by.